This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. So I don't know if you saw the images from James Webb's Space Telescope this week. I was going to preach on something else from Psalms, but I saw those images and I thought, wow, that is amazing images. Obviously, look at them. Look at the amazing images that we saw of these galaxies all over. Oh, dear me. And, um, and, 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 I, and I just was so impacted by that. You know, I, I'm a bit of a geek, so if you want some geek kind of information, the sun that we're all so scared about... Uh, actually, um, this, the, this light left the sun to come to the earth eight hours ago. You know, that, and, the, and light travels at, do you know how fast light travels at in a year? 186,000 miles, if you're an old school, or 300,000 kilometers per second. Wow, and it takes eight hours for the light to get here. If, uh, if the earth was the size of a, a, a pea, the sun would be a beach ball in the lower hall. Yeah, so did you just get that? If you, um, if you went to, to Andromeda Galaxy, which is the nearest galaxy to us, uh, it, it, you would have, it would, the light that left Andromeda Galaxy left 2.5 million years ago. In other words, you know, it might not even be there anymore. Yeah, they're talking about it might crash into us. In the Andromeda galaxy, which is the furthest you can see with your naked eye, uh, there are a trillion stars. The universe is huge. There are more stars in the sky than there are sand on all the beaches and in all the deserts in all the world. The sun, in one second... Makes more, burns more energy than humanity is burned throughout human history. So we're going to read. We're going to read from Psalm eight. It's not. I'll read it from. Uh, I'll read it from here. You can um, you can follow in your Bibles or you can just listen. It says in Psalm eight. It says uh, a Psalm of David to the tune Gittai, which nobody knows what Gittai is, but hey, it's a tune. So we, we're supposed to sing it. I am not going to sing it, even though you love me singing and like to take Mickey out of me. Okay, so Yahweh, it starts, uh, in some versions, it's Lord, which basically is the name of the Lord, uh, uh, Yahweh, our God. Let's just flick through some of these images. Let's flick through some of these images. Okay, so this is, this is called the Cliffs of Kara. This is a, a nebula. Uh, this is a kind of space gases uh, from the James Webb Telescope. Next one. This is uh, an area of sky, of sky. So, but what they did, if you imagine a grain of sand on your thumb, imagine a grain of sand on your thumb, they pointed a telescope at a grain of sand, uh, at, at an area of sky the size of a, a grain of sand, okay? And this is what they saw. It's called uh, Galaxy uh, Supercluster 
07223, that's not his phone number, and it just showed thousands of galaxies billions of light years away. And that's, if you look at this, uh, uh, the si- an area of the sky the size of a grain of sand. So Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your splendor upon the heavens. And then there's a weird verse that feels like I'm reading it wrong, but this is how it is. Because of your adver- adversaries, you've established a refuge. Praise from the mouth of children and nursing infants. You silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is a human that you're mindful of him, or son of man that you care for him? You made him a little bit lower than God, or it says Elohim, that could be angels, it could be God, it it means spiritual beings, and crowned him with glory and honour. You made him ruler over the works of your fingers, and you put everything under his feet. All the sheep and oxen, all the as well as all the animals in the wild and the birds in the sky and the fish of the sea that pass along the currents of the sea. Yahweh, O Lord, how magnificent is your name in all the earth. Lord, we just pray that this morning that you would give us a sense of your splendor, a sense of how great you are, how big you are. And I pray, Lord, that that, that would be the background on which you paint your wonderful story of your love for us. Amen. Okay, so obviously uh, David, or whoever's writing this psalm, probably David, it says a psalm of David. That doesn't mean he wrote it. It might mean it's about him. But anyway, it's of David. But we assume he's obviously got the beginning in mind. If you're reading, uh, if you're reading psalms, you're supposed to see this kind of hyperlink. Do you know what a hyperlink is? It's like you see it in there. It's like underlined in, in, in blue, is it usually? And you double-click it, and it takes you somewhere, yeah? Okay, the, bar, the Psalms is absolutely stacked and loaded with hyperlinks that you can double click on and it takes you somewhere. So the first place, the first hyperlink that, you, that is obvious, it says, it, it says you, um, you, made, uh, you made him ruler over the works of your fingers, you put everything under his feet. He's obviously got Genesis in view when you see the splendor of your heavens. He's obviously got Genesis 1 in view. This is what Genesis 1 in view edited. Oh, that's a... That's a, a, a star cluster that I've just sort of thrown aside from James Webb. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Everything was formless and dark and empty. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was, and it was so. And God made the sun and moon to rule the day and night. And then he just adds almost as an afterthought. Moses adds as an afterthought, God also made stars. Psalm 147 says, God determines the number of stars and calls each of them by name. I mean, we're not very good, are we? We've got uh, S-M-A-C you know, he calls them all by name. I don't don't know how that works. Great is the Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limits. That we're supposed to look at the stars and go, Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your splendor in the heavens. The, 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 the universe is meant to show us that, that God is majestic, that he's, majestic means he's the majesty, he's the king. And, and um, that his splendor talks of that shining of, of, of light, but it also is the same word for glory, how great and amazing God is. You've got to, when you look at the heavens, you're supposed to bow down and worship and say, wow, God, you're amazing. 
And actually, you've got to think that, that God he holds all this in his hands. If you think it's 30, I don't know, how far is a cross? 13 billion light years. 13 billion light years. You think out in eight hours to get to the sun, 13 billion light years, that's 300,000 kilometers per second for a whole year times 13 billion. As we saw in the video, that's a long way. Colossians says this about Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created. Things in heaven, on an earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones, so he's talking about the spiritual realm and the invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and, and for him. He is before all things and, read it with me, He holds the whole, whole of that in his hand. And we have got a God that's got really kind of small. And if you think how huge the universe is, maybe our God's too small. God has placed us in the galaxy so we can look. This is a bit of a geek out again. Uh, if you show a picture of the Milky Way galaxy, there's a picture there of the Milky Way galaxy. So we are here. We're about two-thirds of the way out. Uh, there's about uh, there's a thousand million stars in that galaxy. Our sun is one of them, and we've got the, the solar systems there. Now, interesting, where we're located is, is a great space to have, to have a home because there's not too many stars, which means they can't crash into us. Sometimes stars are crashing into each other, and planets are swapping past each other, and, you know, stars and systems are crashing into each other. There's loads of stuff around we are kind of on the edge, so we don't get that. And the fact that Jupiter's there is actually in our solar system means that we don't get it as the Earth either. But just in terms of location, and also the fact that there's very few stars around means that you actually supposed you can see. You could go to some places in the, in, in the Milky Way, if you're in the middle, the brightness would be so bright you wouldn't be able to see outside. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about that. If you thought about the fact we're located where we are, You'd almost think it's like the perfect place for astronomy. Is anyone into astronomy, by the way? Nobody. Jazz. Come on, Jazz, you're into astronomy. I had a telescope. Mark and Soph had a telescope. We've had a telescope. I love it. It's very frustrating, though, because you look through this telescope and you can see Jupiter about the size of a pinhead and three little pinheads, which are like the, the thing. And you think, I want to see like James Webb quality. <laughs> And it's quite frustrating. But anyway, I love astronomy and I love the fact that it's kind of all out there. But actually where we are is perfect for astronomy. If we're in a different part of the universe, you would not be able to see where we are. It's almost as if somebody wants us to see. That should shock you. Nobody thinks about that. I think, yeah, why are we so beautifully located for astronomy? It's almost as if somebody wanted us to see. They wanted us to, to say, consider your heavens. The work of your fingers, your, your, the moon and stars which you set in place. But we've got a problem, haven't we? We've got a problem. So if you've got the streetlight one. When, when, Abraham, when Abraham is looking up the stars and God says, I'll make your descendants like the stars in the sky. When David is walking in the Judean desert, he's seeing the picture on the right. Yeah? I'd love to see the picture on the right, would you? You know, it's on my bucket list. There's a dark sky place in the, um, in the Brecon Beacons, one of only in Europe. You can go there, but I think I must go on a clear night where there's no moon. 
But we walk in that, don't we? What does that do? What does street lights... There's a song there, but I'm not going to sing that either. What does, what does that do for our view of God? Uh, perhaps it's a metaphor for, the, um, the, for the, how impact of human achievements, street lights, etc., affect our view of God. That, that cities and, 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 and lights have washed out the sky so we can't see. It's almost like our own technology has blinded us so we can't see the majesty. If you walked around looking at a picture on the right all the time, that would do something to you, wouldn't it? People travel thousands of miles to see that picture. It would do something. But we just walk around and it says, God, you made the stars. And in a Cheltenham sky, if you live on the A46 like we do, you can maybe see about 10, you know, and maybe on a really good night, you might see a 1,000. Yeah? You know, Andromeda Galaxy, you get your little telescope out. Well, no, it's just a disappointment, isn't it? And so what happens is we've, we've kind of diminished the fact that the universe is so huge. And also we've diminished the fact that God created it. I get really mad. I do shout at the TV. I'm trying to work on my temper. I had to apologize to somebody this weekend when I was playing golf with them. That's another story. I'm going to work. But I, I started, I shout at the TV. And I shout at the TV when I watch Professor Brian Cox. Has anyone watched Professor Brian Cox? Do you know who he is? He's this kind of really lovely, hasn't he? He's got this kind of beetle haircut, Bob from Manchester. And he's dead, he's cool. And he likes to take you on these journeys around the universe. Watch it and then get, watch it and get angry. I saw a little clip the other day. I'd watched a, a program and, um, and, it's, and, and it, it basically, he just kind of says, it just happens. This just all happens. It's just a bit of... A bit of chance and a bit of time and a bit of... Chem- oh, yeah, here we are. No, we're, we're ahead of the game. Is it, is it one after that or one before that? Yes, keep with that. Basically, they talk about something out of nothing, these billions and billions and billions of stars, something out of nothing. Well, it, it, must, it must be chance, mustn't it? Or maybe there's just multiverses. There was definitely something there before. There's never a thought. As he sits there pontificating, there's never a thought that actually there might be a God. And the order out of chaos, it's a, we just talk it so glibly. It's all this dust and stuff from the Big Bangs just swirling around, all this energy. And it just happens to form into these lovely structures and everything. And galaxies form and planets form. And there we go. And we get this lovely planet that's perfectly designed for life. And it's, well, it just happens. There must be others. There must be millions of other planets like that out there. You know, isn't it really, really interesting? And there we go. We've got all these chemicals just sloshing around. And suddenly it all becomes life. And it? it's just chance and chemicals and energy. It's obviously no... And you just must look. I shout at the TV and think, for goodness sake. I mean, the music they have on this these video, uh, on this, the universe, it's like really kind of worship music. It's like, like cathedral orchestra music. These, you know, and it's quasi-worship without a God. And I just think, come on, Brian. When you look at the universe of stars, you must think, come on, this just can't be chance and time and chemicals. Come on. He even said on this program, it came, do you know sometimes you watch a program and then another one comes on? And I just sat there and watched it on, um, I didn't get all through because I got too angry with him. But he, he's just talk, he's talking about the rise of the human, how we rose from these baboons and suddenly, boom, we're making spaceships. And he's like, isn't it amazing? And he, just, he said this. He said, out of a billion, billion, out of a thousand billion galaxies with a, a thousand billion stars on this small blue planet, the universe became conscious. 
I thought it was quite amusing as well. That is amazing. The fact that we can look and think, I am small. And this is huge. The fact that we are conscious, that is a huge step. It's almost a bigger step than order out of chaos, life out of... It's the fact that we're conscious. It just says somewhere, it just happened. Consciousness. I mean, think about you, your consciousness. It's amazing, but we say, no, there is no God. There's no author of life. There's no God who holds all things together. No, with human consciousness has nothing to do with the fact that we're made in, a, in the image of God. Paul puts it like this. Familiar verses. Be careful when you read from Romans 1 in our culture, but I think we can get away with this one. Uh, the righteous indignation of God is being revealed from heaven against all who suppress the truth by their wickedness. That would be us, since what has been known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, been understood, read it with me, from what was made, so that people are without excuse. Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your splendor in the heavens. But there's something else in view in this psalm. Us. Now at this point we sit back, don't we, in our culture and say, well, of course. Of course, I am the most important thing in the universe. I am wonderful and amazing and wouldn't the whole universe revolve around me? Excuse me, I don't like this. I, I, no, I won't say that. There's a line that people chuck around. If, if I was the only thing in the world, God would have, only person in, in the universe, God would have died for me. Anyway, let's, I, just, I struggle with that because it tends to say you're so important. I think God does care about humanity. But actually, we love to put ourselves at the centre. But if you think about who you really are, who you really are, you know, what are you? You're, you're humans, I've said this before, humans from the humus. Yeah, if you've done biology, the, from the muck of the ground. You're Adam from the Adama, from the dirt. Yeah? How long's your life? It's a vapor. 70 years and gone. You're tiny. Think of a baby being fed, born, helpless. You know, there's some creatures when they're pop out the womb, they're like ready to go out there. It's like these kind of, you, you watch these safaris, you know, and the things like the, the wildebeest is just kind of hopping along and it's like, whoosh, out pops the baby. And men, wouldn't it be great like that? They don't even seem to black, black. And then the wildebeest is up, it's stressing, and then it's off, yeah? You know, and you think, and then, but you get a human baby. Amanda's just walked in, <laughs> you get a human baby. It takes a lot more effort, doesn't it, than that? You just wish it was like, out they come, no pressure, and away they go, off to school. <laughs> You just think how helpless we are and how weak we are and how, how dependent we are, how vulnerable we are. How life is just... So what makes humans so valuable? What makes us so significant? I think, again, um, the, the psalmist has got Genesis on his mind. Uh, Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind or humanity or man... There's a debate there. In our image, in our likeness. So they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the air 
and over all the livestock and all the wild animals and all the creatures that crawl along the ground. So God created them, mankind, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Another sermon here, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, subdue and fill the earth. If you read, um, if you read about human rights, it's a big deal, human rights these days. Yeah, would you agree? Human rights is a big deal. It's everywhere. If you read about human rights, it's a massive conversation. You know, and, and we rightly care in Western culture about, about the oppressed. We rightly care about the victim. We right, rightly care about the, the people that are marginalized. We rightly care about those things. But actually, if you read history, that is new. That's new news. There's a book cut by uh, Tom Holland called Dominion, and he talks about pre-Christian view of human rights. Didn't exist. Yeah? Didn't exist. Glenn Sriven has written a shorter book called The Air We Breathe, which talks about the idea of, of the value of, 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 of a woman and, and consent. That's all. That was never there before Jesus. There's that, you know, about the value of the individual, about all of those things. Most cultures didn't care. If you were Roman, you had a slave, the, the, the life was cheap. You could toss it away. Do what you want with it. But we care about human, human life because the, the, the foundation of Western culture is built on something that God did. It's built on, on who God is. So we're going to have an event. We're going to do a series of events and mention them. So the first one's coming up. Here's, there should be a slide here. Uh, on Wednesday, 27th of September. So you think, oh, that's forever. We're going to have an event called How Much Is Your Life Work? And we're going to talk about human rights and the basis of human rights, the basis of human value. We've got a speaker called Simon Edwards from Oxford, and he's going to talk about that. Think how much is life work? And we're hopefully going to have people to rethink why does, where does human rights come from? It comes from this. God made us in his image. God made us in his image. People want to fold in animals and birds and stuff, but animals and birds are not made in his image. You made him a little lower than God, the Adonai. Could be God, could be angels, as I said, and crowned him with glory and honor. He took the dust, breathed life into it, created it in his image, and crowned it. Now, we think we deserve the crown. We think we're special and we deserve the crown. No, but he's crowned us. He's crowned us. You made him ruler of the works of your fingers. You put everything under his feet. We'll come back to that one. It's a hyperlink. And it doesn't seem very exciting, does it? All the sheep and oxen, uh-huh. as well as all the wild animals, mm-hmm. zookeeper, birds in the sky and the fish that go along the pathways or currents of the sea. Well, I'm not very excited about ruling any of that kind of stuff. Does anyone feel excited about ruling any of that? Well, kind of. David Attenborough would be good about it, but obviously he wouldn't give God any credit anyway. But there's a sense where, who, who's this him at first? We'll geek out a little bit. If you think we're not being geeking out, there's a bit of Bible geeking out now. Who's the him? It's probably Adam, isn't it? When God makes Adam, it's probably the him. And he makes him ruler over the... The, the birds and the fish and the crew. But there's also another ruler, uh, another question says, you put everything under his feet. Do you know what Adam was supposed to rule out? Don't put it up yet. Because sometimes there's a question I don't want the answer. What was Adam supposed to rule over particularly? Shall I read Genesis again and see if you can spot what he's supposed to rule over again? 
says, let's make mankind in our image, so then we rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the livestock, on all the wild animals, and over, I'll go slow to give you a clue, the creatures that crawl along the ground. Do you know a creature that crawls along the ground? It was supposed to be ruled over, a snake, wasn't it? A serpent that's supposed to rule along the ground. And in we come, here we go, it's the same stories, that's what the Psalms are doing for us. In comes this ancient serpent and whispers, God's really bad, he's not big, he doesn't care, you're really the most important one. Adam doesn't rule over the serpent. He doesn't put it under his feet. So this was said last time, Eden where God dwells, God's temple's destroyed. Oppression and death enter God's good world. Evil and death rules. Rulers invisible and invisible, visible and invisible enslave humanity. Adam fails to put his enemies under his feet. He was given rule, but he gives it away. And at the end, God says to the, the serpent, and you might think, oh, serpents, we could debate whether, is it a real serpent? Is it a metaphor of a serpent? It's certainly something slithery that should have been ruled over and it was allowed in. And you think, oh, that doesn't apply to me. I don't have little serpents slithering into my garden. But you do have little words that slither and slide into you and say, hey, wouldn't it be better if, it, if you did this? Wouldn't it be better if you did that? And you believe them, don't you? God says to the serpent, so because you've done this, curse to you above all animals, all livestock and wild animals, I'll put a battle, I'll put an enmity, a battle between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. A friend of mine who's in, in Loughborough was uh, doing a Bible study with somebody who, who's Muslim. And um, lovely lady, and they said, let's just go through the Bible. She's a Muslim lady, so she agreed, was happy to read the Torah, read the five books of the Bible. And, um, and she picked out, when they, when they got to chapter 3 of Genesis, she picked out, she said, Who, who's, the, who's the serpent crusher? Who's the serpent crusher? Who's, who's the one who's going to put the serpent under his feet? Who's that one? And she's asking that question, and, and my friend Johnny Woodrow says, just wait. Just wait. And as they go through the story, I don't know how long this Bible study took, as they go through the story, they keep thinking... Is this one the serpent crusher? They get, to the, they get to King David and say, well, he must be the serpent crusher, mustn't he? Look at him, he's amazing, he's killed Goliath. He must be the serpent crusher, he must be the one. But actually, if you read um, Psalm 2, there's a, a, a promise of a king. I did this last week. It says, I've installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. Well, it must be David, mustn't it? King in Jerusalem, it must be David. But actually, David gets to the point, and if you read Psalms 3 to 7, they're all about David running away from his enemies. And he says this, Lord, how many are my enemies? How many rise up against me? Many are saying, the Lord will not save him. But you, Lord, Yahweh, are a shield around me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. I will call to the Lord, and he answers me from my holy mountain. And actually, we get to a point where we say, well, is David the one who's going to bring all God's enemies under his feet? And the answer is no. 1 Kings 5.3 says, this is Solomon talking about his dad. You know, because of the wars waged against my father David from all sides. In other words, the evil that was brought into the world creates war and conflict. You could not, he could not build a temple for the name of the Lord until Yahweh, read it with me, put his enemies under his feet. Oh, so when David's writing the psalm, 
about putting enemies under his feet. He knows that this is true. He's, he's not allowed to build the temple. He's not allowed to be the one who brings the victory because he hasn't put the enemies under his feet. So who is it then? And this lady is going through, the Muslim lady, and hopefully you know, because you know the answer and you're not even excited by it anymore. Here we go. Let's have the slide. So was it Adam? No. Was it David? No. Was it this guy? 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 Yeah. How do we know? Because Jesus comes into the temple on Palm Sunday, and it says this. Listen for the hyperlink. When the chief priest and scribe saw the wonders that he did, checks time, uh, when, he, when he saw the wonders that he did, and the children shouting in the complex, Hosanna to the son of David. That's the same words that, that David used, God save me, where they said, God isn't going to save me. Hosanna, God saves to the son of David. Okay. They were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, Jesus told them. Have you never read? I love it, actually. I was listening to Tim Mackey from the Bible Project, a little video on this. He said, I love it when he he takes down all the religious leaders. He says, haven't you read the Bible? It's like he goes to a theological college and they're all going, what's all this going on? And he says, haven't you read the Bible? I love it, eh? It's like Jesus, whoa, harsh, take down. Have you read the Bible? He says, you call forth praise from the mouth of children and nursing infants. So we think, what's this to do with anything, Jesus? Praise from the mouth of children and nursing infants. I want you to think about the most vulnerable human person you can think of. You're probably going to come up with a nursing infant, aren't you? Jesus is saying, actually, out of the mouth, or out of the the praise or something from the most vulnerable, from the most, the deepest place of vulnerability, I'm going to do something that makes you so stagger that it's more staggering than the stars in the sky. That's what he's saying here. God is going to take something very weak and God's going to overcome strong enemies both in this world natural, but also enemies like death and brokenness and sin. When you consider your heavens and the work of your fingers and the moon of the stars which you set in place, what is a human that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. There's something more, as I said, something more amazing than the creation that angels are shocked about. Angels aren't shocked about the cosmos. We should be. There's something more amazing. God cares for us. God cares for us. Just think about it. You know, the God who made the cosmos. Think how big that is. And he holds the cosmos in the palm of his hand, takes on flesh and becomes a babbling, nursing baby. Becomes the the vulnerable one. And he's going to do something there. It says in Psalm 8, verse 2, this is the crazy verse. Because of your adversaries, that's God's enemies, things that stand against God's good world, the things that give you pressure, the things that impact you, as Tara said, you have established a refuge. That's what he said he's going to do in Psalm 2. Praise from the mouth of children and infants. You silence the enemy and the avenger. I know when you think Avengers, they're good, but in this, they're not. It's not good, okay? God's going to do something out of, out, of, out of the weakest person. He's 
going to do something out of the weakest, most vulnerable person that shows how powerful he is. So God who made the cosmos, who took on human flesh to help us basically, lived as a fragile human. Can you imagine that? God who lived in, who's lived in eternity. That's bigger than 13 billion light years. 13 billion. God who's lived in eternity always existed. Contracted himself and lived as a baby, was a baby. One theologian says, I think, I don't know, says, at the same time, Jesus was holding on to Mary to feed. He's holding the universe in the palm of his hand. At the same time. And he came to break the broken world and make it new, to break the power of sin and death. This is what, um, what Paul says in Corinthians chapter 1. We're nearly finishing. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than Brian Cole. It's wiser than David Attenborough. It's wiser than Howard Kellett. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross and save yourself. Is weak and naked. But there's his weakness is stronger than human strength. His foolishness. This is not the way I would do it. If I had all that strength to make the universe by the word of my mouth, I'd say to my enemies, boof. But he hasn't done that. He's calm as in weakness because he wants to empower weak people like you so that you can live differently, so that you can be empowered. So that you can say no to those powers that, that, that should have been stamped on by Adam. His uh, Hebrews 7, it actually says in Hebrews 7, it says, um, he made him, he quotes Psalm 8 in Hebrews 7, he says he made him a little lower than the angels, and he quotes that whole thing in, Psalm, in, in Hebrews 7, does the right to the Hebrews. And then he says, as it is, we do not yet see everything subject to him. Think about that. I was on Alpha Course, and everyone said, well, Jesus come to earth, well, that didn't work, did it? That didn't work, did it? The world is still broken, the world's still a mess, there's still the sin and brokenness and death, it didn't work. But actually, like a, a, like a piece of yeast put in some flour, like, like, like a seed put in the ground, it started, the transformation of the universe has started, and it started in your heart. It started in your heart. When we baptised people, was it last week? Yeah, we baptized last, last week. It was great stories, wasn't it? Actually, there's a seed of faith that God puts in people's hearts that's actually transforming them. But we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time. Now crowned with glory and honor. Of course, he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. The big enemies of the broken world was Satan, sin, and death, and Jesus has conquered. We sang it, the battle in the grave. A couple more, same, same high point. For since death came through one man, this is Paul in Corinthians, the resurrection of dead also comes through a man. For in Adam all die, so in Christ all be made alive. Read that again. For since death came through a man, Adam, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man, Jesus. 
For as in Adam all die, all humanity, all made from the dust, all made from the dirt, we, we die. So in Christ all will be alive. Then comes the end. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, he abolishes all rule and authority and power. For he must reign, here it is, until he puts his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. For God has put everything under his feet. What God has done on the cross and what we're going to celebrate with this little meal is more staggering than the creation of the universe. We should be staggered at the creation of the universe. But what God has done in setting, having Jesus come and live as a man and dwell amongst us and die and rise again is more staggering. When you look at that, that shows God's glory and God's majesty and God's splendor more than the stars in the sky. Yahweh our Lord, Yahweh our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Yahweh our Lord, how magnificent is your name in all the earth. David wants us to realise that what God has done in the gospel is the most staggering thing that shows what God is. Centurion stood at the foot of the cross and when Jesus died, he said, truly, this is what it means to be God. Truly, this is the Son of God. So next time when you go for a walk and uh, hopefully you can get away from the streetlights and you look at the stars, you know, get yourself down to the Brecon Beacons and look at the stars and get amazed at how big it is and get amazed at how small you are and then get amazed that Jesus came and died for us to set us free. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.